welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. In today's show, we are mixing things up a little bit and discussing an anthology of short stories. This one is called Fit for the Gods, Greek Mythology Reimagined, edited by Jen Northington and S. Zainab Williams. It's got robots. There's AIs. There's reincarnations. There are spaceship races. There's climate catastrophe. There's horny gods, obviously, because are gods like not horny? Is there a god that's not horny? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) And so much more. This will be an interesting conversation. I feel like <laughs> our pl- our like structure of the episode might just get like exploded because like how do you each yeah. each story could be <laughs> dissected, you know, through the rubric <laughs> that we've got going on. So it might be a little bit uh different uh structure-wise, maybe a bit more wide-reaching and flowing, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Initial reactions. Okay, remembering this week that we're doing, I'm doing star <laughs> ratings now, <laughs> I would give this like 2.5 stars for myself, which I feel really bad saying, but I think it's because I'm not really a fan of short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I did enjoy them, this would be like a four or five star read, but it just like wasn't for me. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that's totally fine. Other people might really like it, especially after our conversation, but like so sorry <laughs> you're learning things about yourself did you know going in that you weren't like that super into short stories or were you just reminded I you know what I had some anthologies that I had purchased like from like a mix of writers and I never finished them uh, um so that probably should have been a sign I think I just like a deeper dive into a story and then mm. like it's too frequent to change things up for me. I don't want to read five books in one day. <laughs> too whiplashy. Too whiplashy for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I don't do star ratings, but like, I feel like 2.5 sounds so low, but it's like, it's half. Like, it's not a one. Yeah. It's not a 0.5. You know what I mean? It's like literally half. It's like solidly medium, even though I feel yeah. like it gets like a, oh, that's a bad rating or whatever. But like, oh, it's in the middle. It's fine. If I did star ratings, which I don't, I think I would put it in the middle. <laughs> but you do now. Like, <laughs> some three, <laughs> like three overall with some four to five star moments. On the whole, mm-hmm. I thought the second half of the anthology had stronger writing and world and character building. I noticed that like I found myself being like, oh, I want to go back to it a little bit more in the second half just because I think maybe I was just on ramped a little bit. But yeah, there were a few stories in the beginning that weren't as interesting to me, but they got a bit more experimental, maybe I would say, towards the back half. Mm-hmm. And like less recognizable as Greek mythology, um, so I thought that that was fun. But yeah, we'll we'll see how the conversation goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I have to respond because we had different experiences. I liked the first half better, and really? then the second half, I was like, "How many more stories do I have to read? I am so ready to be <laughs> done with this." <laughs> oh, man. So we're like on opposite ends of the the enjoyment here. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Recommend if you like. I would say Beneath the Moon by Yoshi Yoshitani, which I think I've recommended before, but it is an anthology, but not like as long as this one. It kind of just gives an overview of myths across like places. Um, So you get myths from Greek mythology, but you also get African mythology. You get Asian mythology from like across the diaspora of all these places. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to read that and like see all these 
myths and origin stories and like how similar they are is really cool. Um, so I would, I would recommend that. Nice. That's a good recommendation. You were saying that and it was reminding me of a few other things that I just added. I put on here Love Beyond Body, Space, and Time, an indigenous LGBT sci-fi anthology edited by Hope Nicholson. And that one's like really thin also. It's like really short. So that's nice. Yeah. Sometimes you're kind of like, oh man, how many more stories do I got? Like you were saying earlier. I think that that anthology is really good. I would also say A Phoenix First Must Burn. And I think that's edited by Patrice Caldwell. Putting it in the notes so I don't forget. Why does it sound so familiar? It came out a few. You've probably seen the cover. The cover. <laughs> it's 16 Tales that explore black experience through fantasy, science fiction, and magic. Oh, okay, cool. So it's like a YA short story anthology, but black, black people centered. And then I would also say, this is a bit of a different curveball wreck, but LeVar Burton Reads, the podcast. Like, if you just want one short story read to you by the reading rainbow himself, <laughs> LeVar Burton Reads, so good. And then, because he also... Most of those come from either like a collection from the author or an anthology. So another way to like, if you're interested in or, or like a like a periodical publication. So it might be a good way for people who are interested in this genre or form to find other uh, rad stuff to read and sample it before doing so. Why did we choose this book? So... It was me thinking like, Jesse likes Greek mythology. Uh, we haven't done an anthology in a while. Like, let's put these things together. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Did this backfire? Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> no, I'm just It's kidding. not a backfire. No, it was I, just, I was like, man, how many stories are in this book? <laughs> and then because did you read the print? You read the print, right? No, I listened to the audio book, actually. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. There's an audio option? Yeah, I got it from, Lib I used one of my Libra FM credits because my library didn't have it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't find, I had to get it through my inter, my prospector, my consortium, my library consortium. I'm remembering yeah. that from <laughs> a previous episode. <laughs> but something about the print, print now for me is just a little bit like harder to stay engaged. Maybe it's all the years of grad mm -hmm. school, but I just love the audio format so much. Yeah makes it easier to to churn through stuff but anyway let's talk about world building a little bit and through the wardrobe so the world building really like changed from story to story because like while it's an anthology about greek mythology it's not like one world um so we had stories set in the past present and future we have magic science fiction realistic stories it was like really up to the author how they wanted to re reimagine greek mythology and maybe that's like part of the problem i had is that it's like because of science fiction and fantasy most of the time it was like so much skipping around you don't really get to spend a lot of time in the world mm. um but i thought that was pretty like interesting way to like do it like have one main focal point which is greek mythology and then write it however you want yeah it's definitely like a wide range of of different settings and like world systems for sure one of the notable ones to me was the aquatic setting of taylor ray's story eagles at the end of the world i guess all the ice caps flooded or melted or whatever and so they're on the, these ships and floating cities and stuff like that that was a, a different take that i i hadn't seen before i thought that was a cool premise and like as a total non sequitur, pretty much also reminds me of, did I ever tell you about the time I did sailing camp, which is like, lol, I know the bougiest sentence I've said yeah. in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And I had one of my first panic attacks 
It was so funny. Mm. Yeah. Back in the day, I was in middle school and it was like two weeks long. Our rec center offered it on our dinky little lake in the town that I grew up in. But there was like a waterfall at the end. So I was like afraid that I was going to go careening off of the waterfall in my <laughs> sailboat. <laughs> it's literally like if you can imagine a toy sailboat, but just like, I don't know, six feet long instead of six yeah. inches long. That's what it was. And I did it with my friend. The culminating event was you had to do like a a, a solo sail for, I don't know, you had to like go out and back or something on this lake. And we were so terrified because the night before we'd had like a sleepover, but the mom decided to put white squall on. Have you seen this movie before? Mm -mm. The TLDR is that there's a large wave and everyone dies. Um, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On the sailboat. And so then I proceeded to have like a very fitful, not night's sleep and was like crying. And then we were both like terrified. That was so funny. And then we were singing show tunes to ourselves to keep us like to reel it back in. It was so funny. But anyway, I just, yeah, was like, oh, I have something super bougie to admit. (laughs) I wonder if this would be the best platform. (laughs) yeah so I, I realize you can't see me right now but i'm shaking my head at the this pinnacle of whiteness i know right, <laughs> told right sailing now. camp offered mm-hmm, through the rec mm-hmm. center mm-hmm. yep sounds about right yeah also when it's like in the mountains of colorado it's also interesting to consider that <laughs> there was sailing camp but anyway yeah because that can't be that dangerous <laughs> on a lake it really was not, but I yeah. had uh, worked myself up, as one does when one has anxiety yeah. disorders. <laughs> 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 it just happens. This story also, there was like um, the eagle through line in that story. And yeah, the mom who's like going to go find the eagles and then passes away. Spoiler alert. Just like want to highlight and say that eagles are fucking magical. They're transcendent. They're sacred. <laughs> they're symbolic. They're all the things. They're incredible. I have seen so many in the past several months. Like I keep mm. spotting them all over bald eagles in my area. I'm pretty sure it's the same, like two pairs of bald eagles. Yeah. But I've seen a baby one, an adolescent one also. Like I would say like 10 times in the past, like several wow. months. It's, it's noticeable. So anyway, yay bald it's eagles. very America of you. <laughs> No, I hate that it's like associated <laughs> with the America. It's also like the double-headed eagle was like the German Reich thing. So like that's also oh, not yeah. great. They're just like huge and incredible. And they're important in a ton of different indigenous traditions, obviously, because they existed before colonialism. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just like birds are so cool and eagles are freaking majestic. And now I have binoculars. <laughs> I can pull over and look at the birds if I'm driving around nice nice i know it has nothing to do with the like fictional worlds of the stories but i was just like "Mm, these are things that made me think of (laughs) (laughs) let's discuss all things magic so i'm just going to mention a couple that like kind of stood out to me because um these were some of my favorite of the stories so in the fourth story by cordova the greek gods have like regenerated which i thought was really cool like they're here in modern times and we get the story like through this like gossipy um interview which that one was my maybe my favorite story i really like that one a lot Mm -hmm. um it was really funny to me and then in the in bailey's story we have like a youngish girl who's turned into a tree because like she doesn't want to hook up with 
like one of the gods, maybe Hermes. I don't really remember. Or Apollo. Apollo. But yeah. yeah, I was like, I can't keep track of this. It's too many. <laughs> um, but I really like those stories. I thought the magic in those stories was like subtle enough that you didn't need a lot of world building to go with it. Um, and maybe that's why I like those ones the best. It just like was perfect for a short story. Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're right with like the Cordova. It was so smart to like open with that one because it's, it was like almost like one of those documentary features that are going yeah. around or whatever. Now it reminded me of like Daisy Jones and the six. Did you ever see that movie? No, it came out not that long ago, but um, yeah, it's also a book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't it like it's Taylor or something. Oh, I have no idea. I think it's about like classic rock or something. And I'm like, not that's like the one genre of music I don't like. So I was not interested. <laughs> Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm just looking it up so that I don't like say it wrong on this podcast. Taylor Jenkins Reid. That's who wrote it. Oh yeah, she did the Seven Husbands of Ez- Evelyn Hugo. That's why that sounds familiar. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. I really like the premise of like the the docu series and thought that the form like leading really hard into the form also made it so like that was the world building right. Like you're interviewing all these different people and you yeah. get people like your readers are going along with that. I noticed that we had, you know, some of ours veered over into science fiction, as we've mentioned before. And it really just like highlighted this like magic science dichotomy is like the same difference, really. Like we had like robots and AI systems and stuff like that, which I'm excited to talk about a little bit later because we have feelings about this. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the, I think that that would be like a, the robots and AIs would also be like magical i guess you could say if we're talking about a magical system like those sorts of things are taking it pretty far down the line from what we have currently some of the stories it was like pretty easy to see what the like source inspo had been yeah but other ones it was it was pretty difficult to suss out it was a little easier when you're like oh i recognize these different names or i I kind of know vaguely what's going on here i didn't read a bunch of i had bullfinch's mythology when i was a kid but i didn't really like I wasn't like keeping that by my side of my bed, reading every single story that was in it. Were you, did you read a lot of Greek mythology growing up? Yeah, I, they mentioned the book at the beginning of this one and I actually already returned my copy, so I can't even look it up, but like by Edith something, like I had that book that I had bought from like a secondhand bookstore. And so I like read through all the Greek mythology and that book. Um, But yeah, I agree that some of them, it was very difficult to know like what was the source material the author's notes in some of them were really helpful in like explaining yes. that um, for the ones that were like a little more confusing, but like the one with the rope, like the, the robot and he's like trying to like regenerate the humans or whatever. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is obviously like Persephone and Haiti. Like the, some of them were like very obvious. And then other ones like with the, the racing one, the spaceship racing one, I had no clue what that was about and I was like this seems like super Star Warsy. like mm, I'm getting prequel vibes um so <laughs> I was just like huh this seems just very familiar to me so yeah. I was just like but not Greek mythology familiar <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah is it mythology timeless tales of gods and something else by Edith Hamilton yeah gods that's and it. heroes okay mm-hmm. nice yeah. Yeah, the the Atalanta one, Atalanta and the Boar. I had never read that story before and I agree with you, star, total Star Wars vibes. It was almost like more interesting than a Star Wars was to me. I was <laughs> like, "Oh, I'm almost like more interested in this ship and what's going on here than in any of the Star Wars spin-offs and stuff like that because it's like, oh my god, they just make them so unnecessarily long." 
Oh, yeah. I just don't like the original ones. Um, the prequels I thought were fine. And that's the one with the pod, pod chaser scenes, mm-hmm. which that what story reminded me of. So I was just kind of like, mm, it just feels like Star Wars to me, which is fine. I don't think I've made it through the OG Star Wars ones. That's probably the wrong thing to say. The original no, ones. No, that's right. The Ridge Tridge. <laughs> the Ridge Tridge without falling asleep. True confessions. Yeah. True confessions over here. I can't watch it as an adult. I don't like them, but I grew up in a Star Trek house, so. Lines drawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lightsabers out. <laughs> Okay, villain time. I only wrote one small thing. It seemed like in the stories, a lot of the times the villains were, or in some of them, like the villain was the self. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the one that is like the Theseus and the Minotaur. And it's about like some person's like essentially breakdown or whatever. Yeah. But in Pescada, which is the Penelope and Odysseus story, something that stuck out to me was this idea of the prisoner turned warden. That's a quote mm-hmm. from page 115 which I thought was pretty astute and as just kind of like an observation on the human condition. And when people get into like shitty toxic situations, they can start policing themselves. And, you know, this reminds me of like Foucault's notion of, of discipline and about how like you don't necessarily need outside actors telling you what to do because eventually we internalize all that shit. And then we start running a script that, that makes it so where we're just you know, fulfilling other people's expectations of us. I I liked how that story, Pescada, was digging into something that I thought was kind of a theme where it's like women, like the gendered expectations of reproductive labor and about how women are like kind of trapped into places that they don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. It was hard because like, this is the hard part I think about talking about anthology for the podcast is that like each story, like you mentioned at the beginning, like we could talk about each one of these aspects in each story. But yeah, I do think a lot of it was like very inward facing. So good note. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In addition to like, I don't know, other bad actors or whatever, but yeah, we can transition. Yes, into One Does Not Simply. So we're going to talk about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. So there was like a ton of representation in this book, which was really cool. I really appreciated that aspect. We had characters from different racial and ethnic backgrounds, disabled characters, folks across the gender and sexuality spectrum. This is like one of the upsides of doing an anthology is that you can have like representation you don't necessarily need to hit those like it's not like a checkbox for each story but like you get representation throughout so people can talk about different things in their own stories in their own way and like within their own experiences which was really cool mm-hmm. second that and what you're saying reminded me that like yeah the anthologies are a good way to like maybe find a writer that you want to hear more about yeah you know, that it's like, oh, I really like how you dug into or like how you crafted this disabled character and this queer character and then be like, oh, I'm going to search out some more of your other stuff. Because it seemed like some of the people who were included had like longer, I guess, are maybe in the midpoint more of their careers and have like mm-hmm. other stuff going. And it seemed like they also did publish a few a, a few people who don't have as long of a of a record. So that's pretty cool, too. I think some of them were, this was their first publication, which is, I thought that was, yeah, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I kind of mentioned already these like gendered expectations about around reproductive labor. And I don't just mean like spawning children. I mean like the reproductive labor that goes into like 
I don't know, remembering people's birthdays or creating community gatherings or community in general and like sustaining that. I could, I think sometimes we collapse the like procreating with reproductive labor when in reality, like we're reproducing the relationships that keep us all alive. Right. Mm. Um, and about how that's such a gendered thing to do. Yeah. There were a lot of women getting trapped, which I was like, Ooh, poor babies. They, <laughs> I wish them liberation in some form, whatever way they choose. I mentioned the Minotaur and Theseus labyrinth retelling. I thought that was like an interesting spin, like where Thea, Thea, the Theseus character is like, has burnt out and is like chasing. I appreciate how the author was like describing the prison that is, or the labyrinth that is chasing external approval and achievements and like your parents approval or whatever. And outside accolades when in reality you're like crumbling and empty on the inside and it's like what are you trying to fill by chucking all of these like cv lines into the black hole of your soul you know what i mean (laughs) and then yeah she like totally burns out and like blows up her relationship and then her partner creates this whole labyrinth because she knew that like her partner couldn't resist a puzzle or whatever which i thought is like "Mm, maybe this maybe these people need to be interdependent by that i mean like not necessarily together but (laughs) um (laughs) but i was just like i i liked this character a lot could definitely relate definitely relate all right shipwrecked let's do it i wrote nothing in here i'm so sorry (laughs) I'm a little surprised. <laughs> I didn't really ship anyone, I think, is the problem. <laughs> so, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I liked this Hades and Persephone story that you mentioned about like the Bastion, aka like Hades, is like reanimating the world after the humans like fucked it up or whatever, mm-hmm. which I would have appreciated a bit more nuance on there because I feel like sometimes there's this like eco-fashy argument about how like humans are so bad and we can't have nice things because I don't know we just immediately fall into exploitation of resources and stuff but I'm like "Mm, those are specific people and specific systems doing that and it just gets like kind of thrown around that oh yeah humans are bad or whatever it's like "Mm, no it's a little bit more complicated than that but um I liked the Hades and Persephone ship and how it was like tragic and, but they, it made me feel things and about how they couldn't be together. But then they got back together because this like alien person came back twice. Yeah. I don't understand. Oh, cause it's like the seasons. That's where spring comes from. It's when Persephone leaves, leaves t- Tartarus or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I liked how they did the, they riffed on that that myth. I thought that was interesting. I like Atalanta and Poe. Hippomenes, I think, is his name. I just thought it was cute. The, their little ship in their Star Wars prequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about how they're like, he's her sidekick, essentially. And it seemed like that's how it worked in the world, which I thought was like kind of interesting to just, yeah. you know, live in a different reality for 25 pages <laughs> was it that long this is why no, I this know. was my problem <laughs> <laughs> short means five pages no i'm just kidding yeah i thought that those were those were two of my favorite ships oh also the one from eagles at the end of the world i thought that one was cute oh also i think the the gorgon one the the one with medusa and oh yeah whoever the dude was that ended up killing her i thought that was cute about how it like turned it on its head yeah. about how they actually liked each other and it wasn't just like a tragic bounty hunt essentially 
<laughs> I, I like that little twist. Yeah. I was not expecting it. That was the Cordova one. Correct. Yeah. Maybe my favorite one. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind and kill your darlings. This is the juicy part of the episode, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Love the cover, first of all, like the design of the font and all of the like different little pomegranate, Mount Olympus, ship sailing. I just thought it was a really cute cover that like was telling you with the symbols and the like style that it's like about greek myths i thought that was well done regarding form i think my favorite was marika bailey's story trembling aspen or to shiver which you mentioned already as being Mm -hmm. one of your faves too it's the apollo and daphne retelling daphne is a nymph in the original and she doesn't want to fuck apollo and so she's like i'd rather turn into a tree than do you so go away and so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thought that the the retelling was like super rich and the world building was excellent it was a bit more like capital L literary or whatever I think because mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. trying to get into the consciousness of a non-human being like a more than human being as this like Aspen Grove mm-hmm. I just love the descriptions of the interdependence and interconnectedness and you know some styles of thought think of Aspen Groves as like a super organism and some of the biggest ones are in are in Colorado here, not too far mm. from where I live. So, yeah, I just that one was a standout for me. Nice. There were a couple of stories that really stuck out to me. The first was Sarah Gailey's Wild to Covet, which was about Thetis becoming a mom and the loss of identity that happens with becoming a parent. I thought that was really interesting. And just like, I was like, huh, okay, I'm not, people get it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I really like that story a lot, even though um, I didn't like love Thetis as a character. Mm-hmm. But I think setting it in a specific time, which I would say is like not our current time, but in the past where Thetis didn't really have a choice in what she would do was very interesting. Thetis is Achilles's mom, right? In Greek mythology? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other was a mix of all the futuristic stories about robots becoming, quote, human or gaining, quote, human emotions. Yeah. That really stuck out to me because I really didn't enjoy it on two different levels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yes. Speak. Speak. (laughs) One, it makes humans out to be like super special for our ability to have emotions, which I think like mm, often like negates or easily brushes off that we are animals and that other animals have emotions, which I think is super evident if you spend any amount of time with animals at all. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is because there is just a general misunderstanding about how machine learning and artificial intelligence work. I get that the genre is just like, it's just the genre and that the imagination of how robots, algorithms, AI, machine learning might work in the future like that's kind of the point but I think it also adds to the general misunderstanding and fear of technology and makes certain technologies seem inevitable which just is not the case Mm -hmm. Um, so for more on this I would recommend reading More Than a Glitch by Meredith Broussard um, who does a fantastic job of explaining how machine learning and AI works and it's all just logic puzzles and math they're not gaining human emotions they're just doing what we tell them to do so no fear for the robot uprising. You should probably be more worried about them like taking our jobs, but um, <laughs> but not because they're smart, just because we can train them to do tasks. So anyways, I didn't really like those stories and I think maybe I just don't like that kind of science fiction. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm so glad that you brought this up. This took me way back. I was 
eyebrows deep in this shit when I was writing my dissertation because it was a lot about like post-humanism and like what comes next and I really appreciate that you highlighted the the like super hardcore human exceptionalism and like anthropocentrism that comes from this idea that like humans are like so great and it's like hard to imagine other beings having I don't know like an internal life like an interiority or whatever and emotions and then also I think that like something I've learned along the way is that like robots and AI can in literature be like a way to talk about labor and enslavement without actually talking about it with like without grappling with like the I don't know how shitty it is (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. they're just like "Mm, these are these people and not people but are they people who are doing all of our work for us and is that bad or is it good and who's it good (laughs) for and you know what I mean and it just kind of leads down this road that I think can be it can be like interrupted I've seen really interesting robot and AI stories before but it but you do have to like take an the road less traveled on that one in order to yeah I don't know make your audience really be considering things in a different way your point about how like we catastrophize things yeah there is this sense that like technology is something that's happening to us when in reality that's never Mm -hmm. been how it's worked like we've always made tools which is technology essentially techne yeah from the greek but they also like make us you know it's like a it's a reciprocal process it's not just like a one-way thing where you're just like making the hammer and then all of a sudden this extension of your body then makes it to where your body can do these things that it couldn't do before so yeah i think giving it outsourcing all of that power when in reality there's like humans who are creating this stuff right and it's because we don't yeah. have checks and balances it's because there's no like because it's a specific subset of humanity who's in the room making that shit, like then it turns out a specific way, but it's not, I agree with you that the like fatalism around it is problematic for sure. Yeah. And I would also like recommend watching something like Ex Machina, which is an amazing movie and I love it so much um, because that robot has like one goal in mind and that is like the whole thing. Like we create the goals for the, for the the technology and that's what they'll do so i don't know it's just like frustrating to me to read this stuff and i'm just like oh my god like it's fine i don't think you need to have like a huge amount of knowledge about technology in order to write this stuff but i have like a very basic understanding of how it works and i don't like i just don't understand why we make it out to be like that technology is gonna like overcome us or something or be so person like I don't know it's just annoying to me so I'm just like let's figure out how it works first and then maybe build from there (laughs) all right um I don't think we have anything for real talk so you want to do some card questions I didn't put anything in real talk let me let's maybe do a few extra of these and look I got them out beforehand I just have to congratulate myself on air whenever that happens apparently (laughs) that's (laughs) annoying the question I'm going to rephrase slightly and say, which story would make a good movie? Oh, I think actually the one by Cordova would, but I think also the one by Zainib. Um, is that the one where they're like going to the winery and stuff? Mm, I'm not sure. I don't remember, but that one I think would also make a good movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> the one with Dion in the Maynads or Dion in the Maze or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be like queer chaos in the Midwest story. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that one would be good. And they've already ra- made all the Star Wars, Star Wars movies, which is Atalanta and the Boar. So we've already yeah. had that one in movie form. Just kidding. Not yeah. really. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. 
I agree with you. And I think maybe the the Aspen shaking one would make like a good art mm-hmm. house film. Like it would be Oh yeah, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> it would not be a Marvel film, so <laughs> it would have a different vibe to it. Let's see. We already answered this question. Why did you choose to read this book? We did. So that's been answered. Asked and answered. Nice. Um, did this book inspire you to explore new ideas or to look at things from another perspective? No, but it did give me some authors that I might check out. And the, like, I've never read anything by Zaynab Williams so, or S. Zaynab Williams, but I might do that in the future because I liked um, their writing. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It inspired me in inspired me expired <laughs> um <laughs> to look at, to yeah check out check out a few of the writers from the anthology and to not write off the short story as a as a form i like those i like them <laughs> um okay with which character do you most identify hmm. none of them i don't think <laughs> Maybe um, Thetis's desire to be free of societal expectations and the need to procreate for procreation's sake. <laughs> Boom. I don't know. Maybe Atalanta and Hippomenes, because okay. I feel like maybe my partner and I have a bit of that energy going on. <laughs> nice. All right. Should we do one more? One more. Let's do one more. Mm, that's a bad one but I'll read it out loud for transparency's <laughs> sake. What role does faith play in this story? But there's like 17 stories, so that's hard to answer. Yeah. We haven't talked about the last story where the Amazons are killing the gods. I thought that was maybe be an interesting one to explore with this question. Yeah. I guess they're, they're ready to have faith in, in something that's like not external to themselves. Yeah. And so then they stage like a massive coup on the top of a mountain, which I thought was like, cool yeah it was pretty interesting all right we did it we did it thank you for listening to the library coven we'll be back soon with a discussion of foul lady fortune by chloe gong as always we'd love to be in conversation with you all let us know what you think of the episode stuff we missed which was like ample because this is a, <laughs> a, a very this is like the the amuse-bouche the hors d'oeuvres <laughs> we gave you a little taste but but we didn't dive deep and you can do that by reaching out to us on instagram by us i mean jesse at the <laughs> library coven love you thanks yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hearts hearts all around you can subscribe to the library coven on the podcast app of your choice and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other people out there um, if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Do, 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 do. <laughs>